The stuff that comes out of our mouths may or may not be educational, have a purpose, or even be considered medical in origin. Certainly, it's not diagnostic and or advisory. Wait, that that's that's not our disclaimer, Michael. Oh, oh, <laughs> I have the wrong paper here. Hold on. Uh, the contents of the lab report are meant for educational purposes only and are not meant to be misconstrued as medical diagnosis or treatment advice. Thank you. Today on the lab report, we are going to talk to Dr. Pam Smith. Finally, we're going to talk all about hormone replacement therapies. Can't wait. The world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to the Lab Report. Okay, what was the scariest movie you saw like at a young age, like inappropriate? Oh, The Shining, for sure. How old are you? 22. <laughs> well played, but I that believe That was a it. real Michael Chapman it. laugh. It was. Wow. That, that co- I Doesn't was, happen often. I saw it coming at the very last moment. So sorry. anyway, yeah, good one. Um, hello. Hey, Michael Chapman. Hi, Patty Devers. I'm sorry for you to be traumatized at the young age of 22, <laughs> uh, but maybe we can talk about it and we can get to yeah. some therapeutic uh, options for you. Body keeps a score. Because that's what we do here mm-hmm. at The Lab Report, which right. is a podcast brought to you by Genova Diagnostics. Thank you, Genova, for everything. And if it's a place. It's a place where we talk about things like trauma and <laughs> other things, physical fitness, diet, nutrients, integrative therapeutic specialty lab testing, and the like. So if you're new to this place, maybe go to iTunes or Spotify, maybe perhaps subscribe maybe, to the social show. That's you are really think about it. no, do it. <laughs> but for those of you who are returning, thank you so much. And if you're new, welcome. And we hope you like this show and maybe rate, review, download, share with your friends and all that stuff. And listen, you know, if you've got some thoughts, uh-huh. maybe some constructive thoughts, mm-hmm. maybe some deconstructive thoughts. <laughs> Feel free to send those along to podcast at gdx.net. That's our email address. You could also follow us on social media yep. at Genova Diagnostics. Yep. Yep. But I think I'd like to start the show because I have a bone to pick with you. Uh oh. You do, huh? Yeah. We're beefing. Beefing? Yeah. You have a beef? I don't know. Or a bone. It sounds like there's a bone to pick. Are it's we picking bones or are we beefing? Right, because those are very different things. Right? In fact, from an anatomical perspective, <laughs> I don't think you get much different between having a bone or having a beef. But like, why Why do we say that? I have a beef with you. I have no idea. Should we Google it? Yeah. I mean, where's the beef is another thing. Beefcake. Beefcake. I mean, there's a lot of uses of beef. It's just a strange word to be using all over the place. Get it. Got it. Awesome. Yeah. Lay it on me. Well, it's it's really completely unknown, but there are some theories and some speculations. Some people think it had something to do with the competition between ranchers and farmers back in the American pioneer days. So they're having a beef. Yeah. But some say it was too beefy, meaning muscular men settling a dispute with violence. But what a lot of people seem to stand behind is that it's tied to the Cockney rhyme slang hot beef, where they would yell hot beef instead of stop thief, which is strange. They would. So I get Cockney slang, but they so this Cockney slang version of stop thief is hot beef. Which is strange. Like if if, if someone's some, robbing you, running right, away, you're right. not yelling. Hot you beef. would think you want to. You would want to make it as clear as possible what the situation is. Right. Like you're not going to cock the slang fire. Maybe they would. 
I guess that's odd. That's odd, though. No, I'm I'm actually not believing any of those. I don't either. Um, fake news. But what I will say is that when I think of a bone to pick, people uh-huh. used to pick their teeth with like bone fragments. Am I mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So is that where it's coming from? Or sort of like after a meal, you're sort of sitting around picking your teeth with a bone. You're sort of like chatting it up. And you're like, hey, I got I got something to stri- settle with you. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense to me. But there are also people who say that it alludes to two dogs fighting over a bone. Oh, that actually makes more sense than <laughs> mine, but that's fine. Anyway, what are we talking about today here, Patty? We have Dr. Pam Smith. Oh, my goodness. Why did we waste so much time? What were we doing? <laughs> finally. Goodness gracious. How many episodes have we done, and we finally were able to get Dr. Pam Smith it's to come talk to us on the Unbelievable. And, you know, friend of Genova, friend of the show, friend of all of us yep. here. We've spoken with her so many times, uh-huh. and so, you know, part of the thing is, it's hard to get Pam Smith. She's like she's, she's busy. busy. All this, she's doing <laughs> like ten million different yeah. things, changing the world one step at a time or a right. hundred steps at a time, depending mm-hmm. on what day it is. I'm sure. And so, yeah. uh, just super excited to talk with her, have her on here, and ask her some of the questions that we commonly get with respect to hormones, evaluation, intervention, uh, all the time here at the Medical Affairs Department at Genova. And in spite of the fact that she is expert on many aspects of precision medicine. She seems to have found a niche as being the go-to person for hormones and hormone replacement. And to be clear, we get a lot of questions on the phone about hormone replacement. And nine times out of 10, I think in my head, what would Pam Smith say? Where's Dr. Pam Smith? So selfishly, I'd like to use this time to pick her brain with a lot of those frequently asked questions. You think she'd be okay if we got a banner downstairs Mm. just as like a reminder, put it in the conference room? (laughs) Like What would Pam do? Exactly. (laughs) All right, well, let's call her and ask her. Sounds good. Michael Chapman? Yes. Dr. Pam Smith is finally on the Uh, podcast. I'm so excited. (laughs) Well, let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Smith, if perhaps you live under a rock here in functional medicine. Dr. Pamela Warshin-Smith spent her first 20 years of practice as an emergency room physician with the Detroit Medical Center and decades as an anti-aging metabolic medicine specialist. She is a diplomat of the Board of the American Academy of Anti-Aging Physicians and is an internationally known speaker and author on the subject of precision medicine. She holds a master's degree in public health, along with a master's degree in metabolic and nutritional medicine. She has been featured on CNN, PBS, numerous other television networks, consumer magazines, national radio, and even hosted two of her own radio shows. Dr. Smith is in private practice and is the senior partner for the Center for Precision Medicine. She is the founder of the Fellowship in Anti-Aging, Regenerative, and Functional Medicine. She is the past co-director of the Master's Program in Metabolic and Nutritional Medicine at the Morsani College of Medicine at the University of South Florida. For many years, Dr. Smith was the director of medical education at A4M, where she continues to be a frequent lecturer, teacher, and mentor. Dr. Smith is the author of many best-selling books, including the soon-to-be-released second edition of her book, What You Must Know About Women's Hormones in March, and Maximize Your Male Hormones, which will be released in June. And with that... Oh my gosh, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Dr. Smith. (laughs) Thank you. So I have to say, as one of the most revered names in integrative Mm -hmm. medicine, you've trained thousands of clinicians, watched this field grow over the decades, of course. So looking back on an amazing career, this is a toughie. What would you say (laughs) that you're most proud of? Ooh, Honestly, kind of a simple answer. Okay, I really have just been able to educate people to help people be healthy and stay healthy 
a physician can never ask for more than that in their career. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and you've taught Michael and I so much. We've been to so many of your lectures, sure. you know, even personally and professionally. So we can't thank you enough. Yeah. What would you say the field was like? Um, at the sort of like when you started getting into integrative medicine, like how some people who are kind of new, you know, they're just kind of converting over and starting to get involved. Um, they, they might not have a good understanding of like how, how, what, <laughs> what sort of transition this has well, really been. What was it like? Well, it is, it has been a really large transition. First of all, I really do believe in traditional medicine, mm-hmm. absolutely positively without a doubt. I just really tell my patients I have a bigger bag of tricks right. where we can look at the cause of the problem and not just treat symptoms. To answer your question, I've written three books on hormones. The first book was very, very skinny. It was called <laughs> HRT, The Answers. The second book, What You Must Know About Women's Hormones. And then the third book, what you must know about women's hormones second edition, which comes out next month, is so thick that <laughs> basically the references will be online. Wow. So we're not even sure it's going to fit in the book. Wow. So when you just look at the area of hormones, the amount of research now to support what we all do is voluminous, much less looking at all the other things like toxic metals and nutrients and nutrient measuring, all those things were very much in their infancy 30 years ago. Right. Uh, now the science is definitely here to support everything we're doing. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And in our field, you are known as one of the preeminent teachers in hormonal balance and bioidentical hormone replacement therapy. And it's so tricky for many clinicians. And selfishly, we'd like to use this time to help you answer some of those questions we get on the telephone all the time. So I think the first question we would have is, How do you make the decision to start someone on bioidentical hormone replacement therapy? Well, it's all about balance. So if someone chooses not to take hormones in their life, male or female, if the hormones are balanced, then that's sort of okay. It's certainly not okay if a woman is estrogen dominant, for example, where she has way too much estrogen without progesterone to balance She can have many symptoms such as weight gain, et cetera, but certainly has an increased risk in breast cancer. But the literature now supports that really both men and women should have hormone replacement if they are a candidate for it. There's voluminous literature on heart health to prevent and treat heart disease, lower blood pressure. There's great studies on memory maintenance And of course, just to have a little fun with it, you can even look at the idea as an anti-aging doctor of what hormones do for the skin. Mm. I I can sit in a group of people, and if they don't have a mask on and I can actually see their skin, (laughs) then basically I can tell you who's hormonally balanced and who's not. For women, estrogen is a smoothness and softness, and it decreases pore size. And progesterone helps with the blood supply and testosterone holds it all up. I mean, there's so many reasons why people would want to stay hormonally balanced forever at a level that is safe 
but also one that really is natural hormone replacement. Right, right. And I think that's once you start getting into <laughs> learning about hormone replacement therapy and just the hormones themselves, it becomes so surprising. People, I think, have these sort of simple one-to-one thoughts and associations with whether it be estrogen or progesterone, but to learn how many different areas, how many different systems in the mm. body rely on estrogen, even, you know, just to single out estrogen, you know, like you said, with brain health, just how many different receptors there are across the body for estrogen is mind boggling. It is. People are surprised to find out there's estrogen receptors in a woman's eyes and there's testosterone receptors in a male's eyes. Mm -hmm. People are surprised to find out that there's estrogen receptors in the colon. So it helps prevent colon cancer in a woman to have estrogen replacement, of course, balanced with progesterone. Right. 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 Well, so for people who might be a little bit on the newer side, you know, we're, our audience is expanding all the time. And so a lot of people who've heard you speak probably will know the answer to this. But for those who might not, what would you and how would you ca- characterize the difference between bioidentical hormones and synthetic hormones? Well, I think it's confusing the way people have named it. Mm-hmm. When you say natural or bioidentical, what it really means is the same chemical structure that God gave you when you were born. It does not mean it comes from a plant. Mm-hmm. However, natural hormones do come from soy or yams, but that's really not the definition. Synthetic is not the same chemical structure that you were born with. And when you don't have the same chemical structure, it's hard to get balance. Incomplete messages are given. And of course, there's an increased risk in disease when you give synthetic hormones. And the science now is quite clear on that subject. Hmm. Yeah. And, you know, although there are some FDA cleared bioidentical hormones to use for therapy, many clinicians find themselves going to compounding pharmacies to create their personalized dosages. You know, in this whole concept of compounding pharmacies, we get so many questions on this. What advice would you give a new clinician about choosing a compounding pharmacy? Well, you want to choose a compounding pharmacy that really uses quality hormones and quality bases. So talk to them, not just about the hormones themselves, but what base are they putting the hormones in? For example, in my personal practice, most of my males that I give testosterone to, I put it in a trevis base. And the reason that I do that is that it was developed specifically for putting the hormones testosterone in driving it into the skin because men have a lot of hair and it helps with the absorption. So I always interview the pharmacies to find out where they're getting their hormones, where they're getting their bases, what is the educational experience of the pharmacist and other people that work there, and also whether they send their compounds out for third-party verification. Mm -hmm. Anytime that I write a prescription, if a patient gets a result and their saliva test that I'm not expecting, I always rerun it, which you guys are great for (laughs) letting me rerun the test to make sure that it's not lab error, Mm -hmm. because any lab can have an error. But also, we want to make sure that the hormones are made correctly. And so if the hormones are not, you can send it to a third-party lab. And I usually send mine to Eagle Analytical. And it's been interesting. In 30 years of doing this kind of medicine, every single time, 
my providers of the hormones, the pharmacies have been at least 98.7% accurate in what they're making. Hmm. So you don't have to worry if the hormones are right or not. You can get third-party verification and see. Right, Hmm. right. And that's, I mean, super important these days, especially where it seems like the ability to acquire hormones. Like supply chain mean? Well, well, no, not necessarily that, but even like, uh, you know, whether you get a particular estrogen therapy over, you know, over the internet or things like that, um, that seems to be a little bit of a loophole that that patients are able to do. So to to make sure that you have a good quality therapy is critically important because we're talking at the end of the day about hormones here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. And it's so important that you test. I find that some providers do not do testing. I mean, no one would give thyroid hormone without measuring thyroid hormones. Mm -hmm. And the same is true of sex hormones. So when I put patients on them, male or female, I remeasure them in 90 days and every six months thereafter. And how you measure them is equally as important. So there's different ways to measure hormones. There's serum, there's saliva, and there's urine. We don't want to dose off of urine. I do urine testing all the time. It's really important to look at the metabolites, the breakdown Mm. products of hormones, but I don't dose off of the urine metabolites because how people break it down is unique to every single person. When we look at serum testing, it's great initially for most hormones. I don't tend to do it because I'm going to use saliva testing after that. Mm. So I'd like to compare saliva to saliva initially. Mm -hmm. Now, why am I gonna do saliva testing? Two major reasons. Number one, there are six medical trials showing that for cortisol, not for Addison's or Cushing's disease, but looking at cortisol for hormonal balance, the six trials all show that the gold standard is saliva testing. Mm-hmm. Number two, if the hormones are put on the skin transdermally, then they don't show up in the blood. There are several minor trials showing that we just completed a pilot trial in our own practice of which I paid for. I did not ask any of the labs to give me free tests or anything. I wanted to make sure there was no conflict of interest. So we looked at 20 women and five men, and we compared the serum levels with the hormones or with the testing that is in saliva. And we found that when the hormone is put on the skin, no matter what hormone it is, it does not show up in the serum in any of the patients. So if the hormones are put on the skin, you cannot use serum testing to follow the patient. And that's how people can overdose, which, you know, overdosing hormones is worse than not giving hormones at all. Mm. Yeah, right, right. Right. Yeah. And, you know, with that, I mean, I sometimes think when we're thinking about saliva and we're thinking about urine, I, I find that really what's most important about the urine, as you said, was how is the hormone being detoxified? And if we're not thinking about dosing, you know, there's sometimes there's conversations about whether it should be a 24 hour urine or a first morning void. And I've kind of landed the, at this place where if we're just thinking about we're looking at detoxification, then it kind of makes no matter. Like that argument is for, you know, determining in a dose, which I'm using the saliva for the urine. I'm just saying 
saying, are they detoxifying well? And looking at the percentage of, you know, as you know, like the two hydroxy pathway versus the four hydroxy pathway and things like that. So I don't know if you would agree with that, but I've just kind of landed at this place of kind of doesn't matter with urine, whether you're looking at 24 hour or first morning void, because we're talking about detox pathways, I guess. We are. And speaking about detox pathways, more and more, I'm doing methylation testing in every one of my patients. Mm. And the reason is that I want to see the entire methylation pathway, Mm. because not only are you looking at the ability to methylate, but on the test, you get to see transulfuration as well. So you do get to see energy production on one side and the ability to detoxify on the other, which is so important. And sometimes I see providers just give everybody methylated vitamins. And the studies show that you can over-methylate. You can get 24 different symptoms by over-methylating a patient. Also, if you over-methylate them, there is an increased risk in all cancers. Hmm. Only about 50% of people in the world need methylated vitamins. I am one of those. I have a SNP with methotetrahydrofolate reductase in one of those areas. I am heterozygous for both. And honestly, I do take methotetrahydrofolate BID for 30 years now. Mm. So my homocysteine, instead of being six, is now eight to nine. But you wouldn't know all that without looking at estrogen breakdown in the urine because mine was poor. I was making more of the 4-hydroxy and not any methoxy. And then I went on to do the methylation test for myself. And, you know, doctors are fun. We always try to test (laughs) on ourselves first. (laughs) And then we go to our relatives and then we go to our patients. But I love methylation testing. I do a lot of it in my practice because if you don't methylate properly, people have not only an increased risk in breast and prostate cancer, but an increased risk in heart disease, stroke, cognitive decline, and bone loss, mm. which are really the big things we talk about when we look at aging to begin with. Right, right. You absolutely. know, and you brought this up just a bit ago, you know, f- spurious findings on a laboratory test, right? And so you repeat the test to make sure it's not lab error because you're right, that can always happen. But there are so many confounding variables that go into this that we try to explain to clinicians. Yeah, it could be your compounding pharmacy. What's the mode of delivery? And to your point, are you detoxifying, right? Or can they methylate? Do you have to look at a stool test to see if they're recirculating into enterohepatic circulation because of beta-glucuronidase? There are so many variables. So after you you do a a test and you repeat it if it's a spurious finding and you know it's not a lab error. Where do you go first then? Do you go to the dose? Do you go to the detox pathways? What's your next steps there? That has changed over the years with the science changing. Hmm. Uh, I was very surprised when I started looking at hormones and the gut. Hmm. You have to have a healthy GI tract there's much more metabolization of hormones in the gut than I would have ever imagined. Mm. And I was so surprised to review the medical literature to see that there's so much of the melatonin is made in the gut, not just the pineal gland, but a great deal in the gut. So if the gut's not healthy, the patient is not healthy either. Mm-hmm. Mm. Right. Mm. Yeah, that's super interesting. And, you know, another thing that we talk a lot about is making sure that we have the window correct of when we're running the test based on when their dosing was. And so do you have any sort of standard guidelines, rules for clinicians around um, when to run the test based on dosing and when the patient is actually taking their hormones or should should they stop? 
Well, that's a great question. And I always, you know, defer to the lab for that. Mm -hmm. But basically, most labs, as is yours, you know, look at it from the same perspective. If something's put on transdermally, then we look at it 24 hours beforehand. So someone spitting into the tube an hour after they arise, then they should not have put on their transdermal hormones that morning. Hmm. So they would have used it 24 hours before. If a woman's taking progesterone by mouth, she would have used it the night before. And then the next morning, 12 hours later, she would be testing. Yeah, hmm. yeah. Right. And another thing about that too, that I always talk about is like incidental contact and contamination being right. such a problem. Right. And we don't normally think about that, but then it's like how prevalent that some of these things could be in the environment, especially if we're taking it on a regular basis, that right. you could have an accidental contamination as a problem. Or too. a spouse, or you go to the gym and you touch something that has testosterone on it. Like how right. much, how much does that happen? Or do you see that? That happens now and again. Uh, it is surprising. A gym is a very common location. Uh, when I first started this kind of medicine, it was fascinating. We had a patient that we could not figure out at all and where the problem was. And it turned out she had transference to her dog. Wow. And she kept getting it over and over again, back from her dog, because the dog wow. hadn't been bathed and it was in the fur. And it took us about a year to figure out why we couldn't get her hormones right. Wow. Wow. See? That's amazing. <laughs> I never would have thought of that one. I, and I sometimes scare people because I'll be like, look, you don't know who's touched that shopping cart ahead of you. you know. <laughs> but I never thought of the animals. That is really a good one. Right. That's a good one. Uh, interesting. Yeah. Well, I, I do want to get to this. So your best-selling book, you sort of mentioned it before, What You Must Know About Women's Hormones, um, certainly a must-have. We have copies we have it in our department. affairs <laughs> yep. department here. Yes, we um, do. And so it covers the basics, hormones, functions, and, and way to naturally balance hormones. Um the second edition, what can we expect when it comes to be released in March? Well, basically, the first part of the book looks at the hormones itself. Uh, it's expanded with the increase in medical literature. Uh, we've added parathyroid hormone and other hormones to the mix as well. Uh, the melatonin section is three times bigger. Uh, I always measure melatonin too, uh, mm. because if you have too much melatonin, serotonin goes down. And melatonin is not just for sleep, it's a major immune modulator. So it's got a large section on melatonin that it did not have before. Nice. The second part looks at disease processes, uh, whether we look at, you know, fibroids or whether we look at um, ovarian decline or ovarian failure. Uh, there's a, a myriad of different diseases looked at. And the third part is why would we want to consider hormone replacement in women? And what does the medical literature actually say about it? And more of a definition on natural versus synthetic hormones. Wonderful, yes. wonderful. Excellent. Well, Excellent. I will say all of your books are phenomenal. We're going to encourage the audience to pick them all up. Like I said, these are Bibles in Genova's Medical Affairs Department. So Absolutely. we're very excited. Yeah. And we can't thank you enough for coming on the show, Pam. But before we let you go, we do have one last question that I'm going to kick to Michael oh, Chapman. right, right, right. So we do ask <laughs> typically a silly question. I hope you don't mind. And this is meant to catch you off guard. Um, and this is, I'd say, probably one of our most profound questions what? that we reserve for only the most famous the of preeminent. those who will That's right. join us. Um, how do you feel about sandwiches, and do you have a favorite sandwich? <laughs> Classic. 
Honestly, I have been one of those people that really does not have a gluten issue. So I could eat gluten, but you know what? I probably don't have a gluten issue because honestly, I don't like bread. So when I have a sandwich, I put it in a lettuce wrap. I always have. Because when I grew up and my mom gave me a sandwich at lunch to take to school, I would cut off all the crust because I hated crust (laughs) and I still do. (laughs) Is there a go-to lettuce wrap then? Is there a particular one that's that's like the staple around the house? uh, We use many different kinds of lettuces because they're therapeutic as well. And, Mm -hmm. And for those people out there that have to catch fast food, I mean, I do eat red meat. And so sometimes I find myself if I'm really pushed at five guys, but guess what? You can get your burger in lettuce. Yeah. So you do not have to have the bun. Absolutely. <laughs> That's great Absolutely. advice. Well, I will say my favorite sandwich is peanut butter and jelly. I'm not sure I'd put that in the lettuce wrap. Do you cut the crust off? <laughs> <laughs> um, and also this, uh, we're, this is going to be releasing right before A4M Nashville at the BHRT symposium. So, Um, We can also say that if you happen to be around or near or excited to go to Nashville for this and see uh, Dr. Pam Smith speak in Nashville, um, then we're we're all going to be there. So that's that's super exciting as well. We're so excited. And Pam, we can't thank you enough for coming in. Like I said, everyone check out your latest book, What You Must Know About Women's Hormones, which is due to be released in March. And thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thank you. Thank you so much for the invitation. Well, are you excited you're going to get to see Dr. Smith in Tennessee in a couple of days? Of course. Yay. Of course. Uh, it's always good to see her. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll get to chat for a minute while I'm not, uh, while I have a few minutes not trying to wrangle the two kids <laughs> around the city of Nashville. I see what you did there. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, if you're actually in Nashville coming to the A4M event, then definitely feel free to stop by the booth, say hi. Uh, be good to see you. Me, however, I'll be here in North Carolina doing all of Michael's work while he's gone. Can you feed the fish? <laughs> yes. Next time on The Lab Report, what are we talking about? How about heterophilic antibodies and immunology tests? What? How about biotin and the thyroid assay? What? I don't know. What do you want to do? Flowers. Oh, You've been listening to The Lab Report. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. So what was the bone to pick that you had with me? Oh, I never got to it. I really didn't have one. I know if I just say strange words like beef, you'll go off on a rant. Or if I say pick a bone, you're just going to go crazy on it. So I was waiting for a Michael Chapman rant. Oh, I see. So you know how to get my goat. <laughs> That's for next episode.